You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Last night was a ton of fun. Um, we we were up till well past midnight, but it was worth every minute of being up past our bedtime. <laughs> uh, we recorded the birthday special that's available for the commentarians through Patreon. Um, fantastic. By now it's already out, but if you're not a subscriber to commentarians uh, on the Patreon, uh, go check that out. And it's a great special. It's it's the birthday special because mine and Emily's birthdays are in March, uh, which is probably already passed by the time this episode airs. But right. go check out the, the the birthday episode. It was fantastic. It was me, Emily, and Joe, and, and my wife. Mickey, yeah, yeah I, was, I was I was adding the extra and for <laughs> emphasis because she's not part of the regular crew. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, she she had a lot of fun and. I think it, the last time I looked at the clock, it was like almost one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, we stayed up pretty late last night uh, getting that recorded, but that was a whole lot of fun. We, uh, we watched um, The Menagerie, Star Trek, mm-hmm. the original series. I know it sounds super nerdy, and it is. <laughs> and but, we were. <laughs> and we were, and we are. And you should check it out because it's worth it. Um, anyway, head over to Patreon if that interests you, uh, over to Commentarians, keep that show going. Because that show to me is like, that's my candy. Like we do this show and I love this show. Don't get me wrong. But like this show is fun to produce, but, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's like going and having a good dinner doing this show versus like, you know, commentarians is like hitting the dessert bar. Yeah. I mean, it it really, it lets us just kind of go off on random stuff. We aren't as bound to the text and there's a lot more thought and speculation free thought and speculation in that oh, there's there's so, plenty of thought here but yeah right we're just a lot more you know we get to we get to play around a lot more with pop culture and 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 philosophy and yeah, things I, like that i think we actually converted joe last night we are trekkie evangelists now so yes we- <laughs> yes we didn't mention this on on the special but it was so funny because Joe was Joe watched the Menagerie, and for anyone who's watched Star Trek, you're gonna think this is kind of funny. For anyone who hasn't, just bear with us for a second. Uh, he had he watched the Menagerie. He waited until the two days before we recorded, so he could have kind of a fresh perspective on everything. And then after he got done watching the Menagerie, he went back and watched the Cage. Well, he was just finishing up watching the Cage. <laughs> As we were Skyping in and getting finished setting up, like he was watching the cage and the, the ending is totally different between <laughs> the two. And it, we got to see like his live reaction. Uh, we did, we didn't get to, it wasn't on the recording. He was upset. <laughs> he was actually visibly bothered by how different the endings were. And he talks about that. He talks about it a little, but we got to see it. Uh, as it happened via Skype, it was pretty awesome. So go check that out if you are a fan of Joe Zaragoza, which who wouldn't be if you've ever heard him on the air? Yeah, he's a lot of fun. So, We're glad to work with him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been great to work with. So uh, that being said, um, we had a great time, and we're going to have a, n- a more great time, just a different kind of great time, <laughs> uh, checking out who are we, where are we back with? I forgot where we left off. Uh, we left with uh, Jacob actually leaving Laban's 
camp. And so he he's left there. We talked a little bit about, um, we kind of brushed by the wrestling with God and um, kind of some of the attitudes as far as leaving Laban's camp. But I wanted to take a moment to really go into what is probably one of the more fascinating stories in Genesis. And it's Jacob uh, wrestling with the angel or with God. And we're going to talk about why those two ideas exist and if they need to exist together or if they need to be separated, if one's right or one's wrong. So, but before we get there, we got to set the scene. All right. So where are we at? We are Genesis 32. Okay. So fill us in on what's going on there. I'm still getting there in my, my Bible here. Okay. So he, he's heading home and you can remember the last time he saw his brother Esau, he was pretty certain that Esau was going to kill him. Now, a little bit of time has passed, you know, 20 years or so. And he's heading back and he doesn't know what his reception's going to be. Right. Yeah. Last, last time, you know, he had, he had just basically stolen uh, Esau's inheritance. Right. So. And so whenever, to kind of get you in Jacob's mind frame, one of the things you've got to realize is he doesn't just show back up. He actually, he hears that actually Esau's coming towards him and with 400 men. And if you hear that your angry brother's coming at you with 400 men, the first thought in your mind is, oops. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is, this isn't going to work. So anyway, so he, um, he's trying to figure out if he should be fearful or if he should press ahead. And he divides his camp up. He puts each of the moms with their kids. Mm -hmm. And he puts the servants out front. And then he keeps Rachel closest to him. Right. So you definitely know Rachel's the one that he's most concerned about. But before Esau can reach him, he actually sends him a gift. And this is, this is quite the gift. I'm just going to read what it was, because even today, I think we would be stunned if someone sent us this gift. I would be totally shocked if anybody sent me this <laughs> gift. So he sent 200 she-goats. Uh, sorry. Yeah, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 he-asses. And he like divides them up, so they go through in sections. Yeah, they send yeah sends them in waves. It's like here's some stuff. Oh, that's nice. And here's some more, some more stuff. Oh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I I love that uh, that kind of strategy because it's got to one has got to be flattering to to Esau. I don't know how flattered I'd be if someone just like. I, I think of, okay, did you, oh, you, you recently watched The Office, remember when uh -huh. Andy was doing the 12 days of Christmas? Yes. With, with, with Kelly. <laughs> the birds were driving her crazy. <laughs> or Aaron, I guess is what, yeah, because yeah, they were both named Kelly, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, all the birds, she's like, whoever's doing the 12 days of Christmas, please stop. I feel like that's how I would be, but I also have, I don't have as much need for that many, for that much livestock. Well, I mean. Any one of those things would have made you a fairly wealthy person in that culture. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that Jacob's just able to give it away yeah. tells you how much wealth he has amassed at Laban's. Well, it's, uh, it's using the sticks on the goats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Got to go back to the episode to catch all that. So. But, and he, but it really is. It's designed to overwhelm Esau. It, it's supposed to be so impressive with the generosity that Esau just really doesn't have any other recourse but to say thank you right and so the thing is once he sends all this forward then jacob has some time alone 
And this is where I actually have to put aside my my Jewish publication society Torah commentary. Okay. Because, uh, well, I'm going to hold on to it while we go through the story. But when we start the comments, because the way the Jewish viewpoint is, is totally different than the Christian viewpoint. Yeah. And so we want to talk about that. And um, you want to just kind of give us a quick breakdown of the story? Um, this is the, re- the wrestling of the angel? Okay. Uh, where does that start? Let me that starts 39. Or do we just, I guess we can yeah. do just the, the quick breakdown. Yeah, just- Basically, Jacob... What is he even doing? I can't remember what he's out doing. Um, he arose and took his wives and the, his servants, 11 children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took uh, sent them across the stream. And Jacob was alone. Mm-hmm. And a man wrestled with him. So I guess they were getting, were they just, I guess they were getting themselves positioned to meet Esau the next morning. Is that kind of what they were up yeah. to? Yeah. Jacob was the last one. He hadn't crossed over into the land yet. Everybody else has gone across. All of his wealth is pretty much across at this point. And he's, He's just waiting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's a lot of debate on why he waited. Uh, is he trying to delay meeting Esau? Is he possibly going to, you know, is Esau attacks the camps in front of him? Is Jacob going to run? Is this his get out of jail free card? Sure. And, you know, which you kind of think, oh, man, I hope that's not it. Because you need to put his wife and his kids. My, I stumbled over wives because that's such a weird thing. Put his wives and his kids out there. Right. And his brother, you know, yeah, he probably had guards and and men who were with him who were helping protect because you've got to with that many animals. Mm -hmm. But still, it's not the most courageous act in the world. Right. So, so then, so then Jacob's by himself and a man comes and wrestles him with with him. Mm -hmm. And that's very strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, because there's, there's no indication of where this person comes from. There's no indication of where he goes. It just that. He shows up and wrestles with Jacob. Yeah. So it's just like, in the night. You know, which that would just weird me out if someone just, you know, if I was walking along and someone came up and just started wrestling with me. No, I mean, it, I don't know. It wasn't like an, it never says if it was an attack or if it was like, I mean, it's so weird. It's, well, and we're going to get into who is the aggressor because that actually does come into play here. Okay. And we don't have the information from the story. Uh, the story doesn't tell us a lot, actually. What, what's more interesting about the story than anything is the information we don't have. Sure. And so, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture, and um, we have to look at the terms used, and we have to look at where this this is referenced again. And it's it's talked about again in Hosea 12. And Hosea 12, verse, uh, verse 4, it says, He strove with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there the Lord spoke to him, and the Lord of hosts, and the Lord is his memorial name. So, Hosea clears it up as far as it being God, Mm -hmm. but there's also still, he brings that angel aspect in. Right. And so, that's kind of a little weird. because is is this kind of where we get in some ambiguity in the naming of, like, the angel of the Lord, and... And the theophanies and things like that. Yeah. Well, and the, the whole text, okay, you, you don't see it in English so much, but I wanted to to bring it up. It, in the Hebrew, when this person arrives, he's referred to as an ish. Now, uh, the first place we encounter the word ish is in Genesis 3. And this is when Adam says, uh, you know, she's a woman uh, because she came from man. Uh, she's an isha because she, because she came from the ish. Okay. And so this is where we begin to see it. So that's a very human term, and it has nothing to do with anything supernatural, at least in the beginning. And we use this over and over. We find it throughout 
the Old Testament that there's really not a whole lot of um, significance attached to it. It's a common term, and it usually just means a man. Okay. And, but that's how this being is identified at first. So, like I said, scripture interpreting scripture. There um, is another place in the Bible where we talk about an ish showing up. And I know I have it. Ah, there it is. And ish shows up. And this is Judges 13. And this is when Gideon is, um, not Gideon, sorry, Samson. When the angel shows up to tell Samson's mother that she's going to have a baby. And once again, you know, we're right back with a woman who's in, infertile. We have a woman who, who can't have kids. The angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. He's going to be set apart. He's going to uh, accomplish these great things. And we see the, the same thing, but uh, as far as the terms, because we have this ish. So she even says, it, this man showed up and he has the appearance of an angel. Well, see, and that's, that's, that's interesting because in ESV, it actually says, uh, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her. Yeah, and, but she doesn't realize it. Okay. Yeah. But uh, she just refers to him as a man. Mm-hmm. She, she just, the, and when she goes and reports this to her husband, and we've got that great conversation, it's one of the few times when we have a situation, you know, with Jacob, you don't have a conversation. You've just got what the Torah has to tell you, and then you've got what Jacob says about it, which isn't much. Right. But with Samson, you, you've got this conversation where it's going back and forth between her and her husband, and it's almost like her husband's a little dense, and she mm-hmm. needs to really drive home the point of what she's dealing with. You got a lot of that going on here, <laughs> like in this book. Yeah, but this, this story actually is very much connected because she even asked the angel, um, you know, what's your name? Right. And uh, the angel doesn't give a name. And Jacob, when he asked the angel he's wrestling, tell me your name. Right. Uh, doesn't give a name. Precisely. And, and then uh, you also see that with Joshua mm-hmm. uh, when he's out uh, walking. It's uh, Joshua b- 5. Yeah, before, uh, before the Battle of Jericho mm-hmm. or the walking around Jericho. And he asks, who are you? But, you know, he, he says, are you for us or for your enemies? And the, uh, the angel of the Lord refuses to identify himself as anything other than the commander yeah. of the army of the Lord. Let's, I want to just read that because I've got it here. Um, it's just a couple of verses. And it says, when Jer- Joshua is by Jericho, he lifted his eyes. And sorry, this is Joshua 5, uh, verse, starting in verse 13. He looked, uh, lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld a man, an ish, standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him. What does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So right off, you take off your, take off your sandals because yeah. this is holy ground. Call back to Moses in the bush. You're right there. You're yeah. just absolutely right there. And, you know, he receives worship. Um, only God is holy. Only God is supposed to receive worship. And so I think for me, this is one of the clearest times when I see that that angel of the Lord really is embodied God. Mm-hmm. And so this actually, um, if you go through the Samson story in Judges 13, you look at Joshua 5, you read through Jacob's story, you begin to see how uh, they show up as an ish, this, as a man, then they, they begin to be identified as an angel of the Lord. 
and then they become identified as the angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so there's this progressive revelation of mm-hmm. who they're dealing with. And it's like they aren't, it's like they can't handle the whole truth, you know, Jack Nicholson there. Right. Uh, so. No, that's interesting. That makes sense. And matter of fact, at the end, by the time that Samson's parents, um, they talk to him, they said, if the father says, we're going to die because we've seen God, mm-hmm. which is what Jacob names the place. Uh, I've Penel, I've seen the face of God. Right. And so that's a really fun little um, bit of information because you know, he's, he, he asked this angel, he tells him, I don't, I'm not going to turn loose until you bless me. And right. now think back to when Jacob, uh, when Isaac blessed him. Isaac couldn't see his face. Isaac felt him, but Jacob wanted to get away. Right. And so you have this full reversal. And this, this shows that God's a superior father to Jacob than Isaac ever was. Because God could look at who he was as a man and say, I'm still going to bless you. Right. Well, and, then, and that's what we talked about with, with the story of Jacob. I think we mentioned that in one of the past episodes is, you know, we, when we read the story of Jacob, we have to remember that God is the main character and not Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob, Jacob is a character in God's book. And uh, so we have this that God is going to go, no, I'm, you know, you're, <laughs> you're doing everything you can by all rights to mess things up, but I'm going to make sure that my people and my kingdom still come through the the lineage of Abraham, because that's how I've decided it's going to happen. Yeah, and well, I think, too, that the, the reason why I had to put the commentary down is in Jewish ideology, God is so holy and, and so far removed. And when you say holy, that's really I mean, separate, that it, it's something apart. And so the idea that God would actually appear in a physical form to to wrestle with humanity, that's pretty close to blasphemy. Right. And so that has kind of been the prevailing thought in Judaism as we've known it recently. But Heiser uh, is the one who introduced us to the concept of the two powers in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a, a quote from him that I, I just wanted to read. This is from his Unseen Realm book, uh, chapter 17. He says, the startling reality is that long before Jesus in the New Testament, careful readers of the Old Testament would have been troubled by the notion of essentially two Yahwehs, one invisible in heaven and one, the other manifest on earth in the variety of visible forms, including that of a man, that Ish. In some instances, the two Yahweh's figures are found together and in the same scene. And so we find this at the binding of Isaac. We find this at the burning bush, the Joshua 5 passage. Mm-hmm. Um, couple pla- is it, it's in Ezekiel too, right? It is in Ezekiel. And Heiser pulls a lot of his stuff. I actually found this, this is on PDF form online, so you can read it for free. Adam Segal, uh, he wrote the book. He's a Jewish scholar. He doesn't believe that Jesus is God, but he does believe in the two powers in heaven idea that God was uh, spiritual in the Old Testament and removed, but also very much present and incarnate. And that kind of builds on the idea where we talked about the Macomb in one of the, the episodes that we did. Yeah, refresh me on that one. Um, That's the place. Uh, oh, the place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That physical place where God is manifest versus where God being in heaven. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. We, mm-hmm. we were up late last night. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I, 
So there, there's that aspect of it where um, this this would not have been an unfamiliar idea for Jews in Jacob's day. It wouldn't have been unfamiliar even in Jesus' time. But after Jesus, and you know, Jesus says, "Hey, I am God." Now people are going. Well, we don't really like that idea. Let's push back against it. Right. Right. Yeah, and there's actually uh isn't it it's even in the the Shema is worded differently in English translations of Jewish Bible, isn't it? Whereas there's a uh, in the Jewish Bible it says the Lord there is one God, wherein uh a lot of the other translations says the Lord is one. Right. Uh, uh, I, I believe. Let me double check that. I thought you'd mentioned that one time. I, I could be wrong. Well, and I've pr- I've probably slept since then, or slept very little since then. Pick your bit. Take your pick. Um, it's Deuteronomy six. Yeah, Deuteronomy. And now, can I remember how to spell Deuteronomy six? And um, specifically, uh, Deuteronomy six four three nine. Let me pull the interlinear on that. Actually, no, I did not want interlinear. Uh, if you haven't discovered Bible Hub by this point, uh, I highly recommend it. I've probably uh, brought it up more than once. Uh, but uh, Here it is. I've okay. got it in the, in the JPS version. Awesome. It says, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, okay. is, is what it translates there. So it's a little different than what we get in, uh, in like ESV. Uh, yeah, because ESV, the Lord your God, is one. Uh, and the word one there is achad. And it's like uh, grapes. You can have a bunch of grapes. So the bunch is uh, singular, even though it's made up of individual parts. Yeah, and in yeah, ESV, you have hero, is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, so you have a little different, little different rendering in the translations. Yeah, and you know, there's some really great verses in the Bible. Um, like Amos 4.11, I have destroyed as when God, and it's God talking, so I have destroyed when God, w- wait a minute, you know, if you listen to just the verbiage there, the, there's this, that's the thing with these passages, if you aren't really looking for it, and I think specifically in the English, you don't see that, that blending and blurring of roles where God is both incarnate and both, and, and spiritual, and that angel of the Lord uh, usually in Jewish literature, this angel becomes Michael, or he becomes Metatron in Second Temple literature. And he's and if you aren't familiar with Metatron, uh, watch Dogma. Uh, <laughs> Don't watch Dogma. <laughs> but the, Unless you want to watch it. Yeah. Daniel 7's another um, great passage that where, you, again, you see God um, talking about God sitting on the throne and being seated at God's right hand. And, and you really have to read through that passage carefully. And the Lord said to my Lord, come sit at my right hand. Who is, who is God talking to who deserves such an honor? And because the simple reading, the most, um, when I say simple, the most direct, maybe not the, the simplest thing to accept, when they rejected the, the simplest reading, then they had to come up with all of these ways to fill in the gaps and ways to try to make sense of passages where you could very clearly see that God was, you know, for lack of a better term, talking to himself. <laughs> right. But not himself, but also himself. Like literally himself, but not just in the sense of himself like we would think. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Th- that makes sense. One of himself, One yeah. of his selves? 
I, I don't know. Yeah, because now we're getting into, you know, like the Trinity and trying to understand <laughs> what is the Trinity and what is the nature of Christ in relationship to the nature of God with, with the nature of the Holy Spirit and how do they coexist and, and the, the fancy theological term there is perichoresis. Right. And, and it's this indwelling and this eternal submission to each other in unity and in and it's such a perfect level of relationship where they are one but they're also distinct right and you don't then you know and i think we've all heard those those he's like water and jesus is god in the solid Small form like magic. ice and yeah yeah <laughs> We'll have yeah. to send that. We'll have to link to that video. Yeah. The uh, uh, but yeah, there's a video talking about how Patrick, Patrick, uh, uh you know, uh, what's the Saint word? Saint Patrick. Saint Patrick. Yes. Was... Um, we're on we're on good terms. Yeah. <laughs> I just call him Patrick, but Patty. Patty. Um, what was I saying? Yeah. There's a there's a uh apocryphal type of story where he talks about using the the shamrock leaf because it looks like three leaves, but it's all three leaves are considered one leaf, but they're distinct parts but they're all one leaf and he used that to i don't know if he actually did use it to explain the trinity but apparently that's not even a great analogy when you break it down um so and i think ultimately it's one of those things that we can't you know it's we can't really uh explain it or comprehend it i think i I, and i kind of think of it like the the it's the heisenberg uncertainty principle where if you (laughs) If, if you, you know the location of a particle, you can't know its speed. But if you know its speed, you can't know its location. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they have the compensators on the transporter in Star Trek. Well, so I, it's, all, I, it's all tying back together to last night. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's where we have to recognize that this is a mystery that's greater than the human mind is going to comprehend. And not everything about our faith is going to, quote, make sense. Um, and it's that glass, you know, viewing through a glass dimly right Mm -hmm. now. And, you know, there might come a point in time where way out in the future and we've spent a million years with God and he's carefully helped walk us through some of these lesser mysteries that we get it. But I don't think it's going to happen this side of eternity by any stretch of the imagination. No. And, and I think anyone who tells you they've got it nailed down is probably missing something somewhere. I mean, because you, whenever you try to, to. Every analogy breaks down at some point. Uh, our our minds are are made so that they view shapes and and images, and we just we can't put it all together because there's not a clear picture. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you start getting to like just you know the tesseract type imagery that you see, the fourth <laughs> dimensional imagery representations of cubes, and and you know it, it really gets out there if you really want your mind to to go you can break your mind with this stuff i mean and so so you know it's it's fun to it's fun to ponder but i will never say that anyone has to have a perfect doctrine of the trinity uh, in order to to be saved or be a believer um because you can't i mean yeah i don't think one exists i and i think um, some are better than others some yeah some some come closer than others i'm sure but i I definitely think that to 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 say that you have to have a, a solid perfect image or perfect theology of it mm-hmm. i mean that's just pushing people too far i i don't think yeah. you can't expect that from every believer i i don't expect it of myself <laughs> fair I mean, enough yeah <laughs> well yeah it, and you know and i try i i just don't expect it and 
So one of the things that's really been troublesome and another reason why it's kind of been rejected that this is God um, is that Jacob seems to beat him. And can a human being actually beat God? And so that leads to some real interesting questions because God says, uh, you've striven with God and with men and prevailed. Sure. And um, so obviously he's, he's fought men. Uh, he's matched wits with men, uh, Esau and Laban. Mm-hmm. He bested both of them. He's in the process of trying to buy off Esau again, even as this is happening. And so there, I think there's this acknowledgement that he's, yes, he is smart. He, is, he has some strengths, even some mm. military strength probably at this point. Uh, he, he's prevailed. But to beat God, the answer for what that is and what that means, I think it's actually in Hosea 12, that verse 4 that I read, because he wept and sought his favor. How do we, quote, beat God, bring God back to us? It's in that submission. It's in that surrender. And it's, I don't think it's an actual besting of God. But when we stop fighting him and we start reaching out for him to, to, we want to be near because in Genesis, we have nothing about the weeping and the seeking of the favor other than bless me. Right. But in Hosea, when you weep and seek someone's favor, that's different than bless me now. Right. So now, okay. So, so we've kind of established that, you know, the, the Jewish tradition is not that he wrestled with God. Now, is there any kind of commentary that, that leads to these thoughts in Hosea uh, in, in the Jewish tradition? You know, it's just kind of accepted with Hosea. But well, I, I understand we yeah. kind of just accept Hosea, but is, was there any kind of like oral Torah-type stuff that, that was handed down that might have informed that that we know of? Actually, um, I want to make one more point about, about beating God, but then we're going to go into what could have informed that idea. Okay. And it's not in the Torah. So I'm getting ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. I, um, I, I, yeah, but sorry. No, the other thing in this, uh, some scholars have actually seen a foreshadowing of Christ in this. Okay. Uh, not just in the fact that he was incarnate, but when, when Christ was on the earth, he didn't have the full power of God or he didn't demonstrate, he harnessed that part of you, himself. He, he would, uh, you, okay, so, mm-hmm. that, okay, that's an interesting thought. It, what a better way to, be, to say it, a more clear way was he, he, he emptied he, himself of, emptied, he allowed himself to be, um, to be beaten. Yeah. Um, because, because, you know, because Jesus even says, and that's, that's one of the things, like, I, I struggle with this idea that, 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 uh, God in a in a physical form would be limited just by the physical physical form. I don't think that would have been the case mm-hmm. unless he allowed it to happen. Well, because it's a verse. Hold because on. Jesus even says, "No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down." Mm-hmm. So you know that's something that that's made very clear in, in the scripture is that that no one actually has the power. No one had the power to kill Jesus. No one had the power to let that happen except him. And so. Yeah, he Philippians two seven for he, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Um, well, now I lost the next verse. Uh, yeah, but it's himself. It's yeah, not, he it's chose not, this. It's not like it's not like just going just because he was in physical form forced those limits on him. He because you still see him using power. You still him see him saying that you know I could call the angels and they'd be here. 
and they they take care of this. Yeah, uh, verse eight, and he humbled himself to the point of obedience, and so um, definitely that's a chosen thing. Nobody else can humble you. Um, being born in the likeness of men and found in human uh, form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God was highly exalted in him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Yeah. And so, yeah, it definitely, I think it's a... a um, it's, it's self-imposed. It, it's self-imposed. He, he allowed himself to be bested by men well, in but, both times. But you also see this in Luke on the Emmaus Road. Um, the idea of Jesus is walking with him with a stranger. They don't realize after the resurrection who it is. He's walking with the, the disciples there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I got to go, time's up. And once again, when when they turn to him and they say, stay with us, be near us, he stays and goes on to eat with them. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that God, when, you, when we go to him and say, we want to be near you, we want to be close to you, and we aren't pushing him away, that he will honor us with his presence. And so I think that's kind of reflected in that moment, too. I can see that. I can see that. But, okay, so I, like, found this day before yesterday, and it's been killing me because I know this is one of your favorite stories in the Bible, and... Well, it's definitely one of the most thought-provoking. And, well, I wanted to... I, I was doing the, the research, and I was... I found this, and I was just, like, wanted to call you at 2 o'clock in the morning, which I'm sure you appreciate the fact I didn't. Uh, I would have been up about an hour after that with my <laughs> three-year-old, but go ahead. And so, remember when we talked about Genesis 1 being a polemic? Yes. Okay, so that doesn't stop just with Genesis 1. It does, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the ideas that it stops after Genesis, like, 11. Yeah, but it, it, we actually, this is where we find it again, and there's this really uh, great paper, uh, it's behind a paywall, so I won't be able to link to it. But um, if you have access to Joster or some of the other academic databases, you can find it. The um, articles, Echoes of Gilgamesh in the Jacob story. Okay. And the author is Esther J. Hamori. So I don't know, a lot of people um, in Christian circles um, may have heard of Gilgamesh because he has the flood story. Mm-hmm. And we also have this human-God hybrid. And this has led a lot of people who are skeptics of the Bible to say, eh, yeah, the Bible just ripped off the stories. Right, yeah. And so one of the stories, because it's not just a flood story. I mean, the Epic of Gilgamesh, I mean, it's an epic. It, it's, it's long. Right. And we don't even have it all. Right, yeah. And, there's, there's tons of holes in the text. I've actually, I read some excerpts from it, and it's actually pretty interesting how many holes in the text there are. But it's, it's a very interesting story. Yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of um, a lot of similarities. So basically, uh, Gilgamesh is this guy who is pretty proud, pretty puffed up, and he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And the gods kind of get tired of it. I mean, he's he's a brat, and so they make this being called. Let me get the store the name right. In Kiddu, um, Akidnu, Akidnu, oh Akindu, Akindu, yeah. E-N-K-I-D-U. And um, they make this being to be Gilgamesh's twin. So they make this being to be Gilgamesh's twin. And Gilgamesh is getting ready to go to a party. 
and they send Ikidu to to wrestle with him. And I hadn't heard that he was the twin. Yeah, he ahead. was. Yeah, he was. I didn't realize he was like the, to be a twin. the yin and the yang. Sure. And so Gilgamesh wrestles with him, and through the process of this fighting, they actually wind up uh, coming to respect each other, and they become best friends, and then they carry on with these great mini adventures. And Gilgamesh dies whenever the gods decide to kill this dude because he, you know, they want to punish Gilgamesh for being a brat. Right. And so some of the things that are very uh, similar, uh, of course, that's the Reader's Digest version of the story. Some of the things that we find that are very similar, uh, the aggressor in both Gilgamesh and the story with Jacob, they're unknown. They just show up. They're in, in Jacob, it's just that ish. Okay. It's just a man. Um, it's the aggressor who provokes the conflict. I mean, there, there is, um, in the Bible, it's not specifically spelled out, but you kind of have to think that maybe if, you know, why would Jacob just attack somebody randomly if he's sleeping there in the night trying to get a good night's rest? Right. And so, um, but the fight serves as a rite of passage. Both Gilgamesh and Jacob kind of change character through the process. Jacob so much that he limps. Right. And the the Bible says that the the ligament in his thigh is, is displaced, and you know, and Jacob's been displaced, and so he's actually going to walk in a way that that um, reflects his uh, physical situation. Uh, it ends with the aggressor blessing both Gilgamesh and Jacob. So both accounts have the have a um, have that blessing. Um, the identity is not disclosed until the end of the fight. It, it's unarmed combat, which is unusual at this point in time. Even the gods fought with uh, weapons. Hmm. So to actually have somebody wrestling kind of stands out. Um, who won is in question. And we were back to that. Who is prevailing? You know, was it, did he really win because he won or was it he win because he was allowed to win? Right. Well, he, I mean, if we, first off, I, I think if it was, if it was a god or an angel, I think he was allowed to win. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. So, but the blessing, they're, they're very similar in uh, content and form. Uh, they begin with the identity. They go through the legacy. They have the promise of kingship and the promise to prevail. Uh-huh. And so all of these four elements are, are very present in both stories. Now, if we look at in, in Kid Do's, um physical attributes, he's a wild man. He lived with the herds, eating grass and drinking at the same watering holes the animals did. Okay, yeah. yeah I see where was, you're going here. He was hairy. He used weapons. What do we know about Esau? Yeah. He, he's the same, same kind of guy. Uh, he was created to specifically, you know, like, to fight with Gilgamesh because of this. And he's the twin, but he's the counter opposite. Just like Jacob and Esau are the opposites. Right. So there's this connection there. So by the time we get to this fight scene, and we know based on archaeological finds that the bronze tablets and things that we found, uh, the different, uh, not just bronze tablets, but also clay tablets and things, the, the biblical audience would have been ready for this. Right. They, they would have known. And, the, and this is the reason, too, why some of the Jewish um, commentators said this is Esau's guardian angel and we talked about that some on the vampire episode right okay and so not only is it esau it's his his guardian angel and we we're ready for that but then 
the writer of the Bible, uh, probably Moses, he subverts it, and now it becomes a polemic. And we've talked about polemics before. Mm -hmm. Because Jacob fights with God. Jacob can't win a blessing from Esau. Jacob has already stolen the blessing from Esau. Yeah, it's not there's doing nothing him, left to give, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to do him any good. Uh, he, he had to trick Esau into giving the blessing, and here he has to stand up and fight for it. Kind of a, I'm a man, I'm going to take it kind of thing, instead of being the kid and sneaking around. Yeah, instead of, yeah, going, moving away from the trickster role. Yeah, and, and only God can, can change Jacob's... Um, uh, he can. Uh, Sorry, my that, phone. That, that was my phone. Yeah, you're. Okay. Yeah, keep going. Uh, only God can change Jacob's uh, identity, and Esau couldn't do that. Uh, Jacob was always going to be a trickster to Esau. He was always going to be, you, you know, the one who had bested him. Yeah, he was brother, and he was going to love him. And we, oh, I think we see that um, that theme carries on. I mean, we still watch it today on Marvel's uh, Avengers. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I definitely see that with, so, with Thor and Loki. But when, when Enkidu and uh, Gilgamesh fight, you know, they end up with a mutual respect for each other, and they become bonded to each other. And Jacob can't be bonded to, to Esau. Esau is not the covenant child. He's not the one who's significant in the promise and the future of the nation. He's the one who God said isn't going to be a part of this. Now, he's still a good guy. We talked about that. But... Um, Jacob's got to be free to pursue God's blessing. And the th I love the fact when I was studying this, that this is a story once again, that the audience would have known it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. So I, I think this is one of the things that we need to, when we come across these stories in the Bible, where it's like, there doesn't seem to be enough information here to start looking at some of these other myths and mythologies that would have been familiar to the audience to see, are there some missing pieces that they, that they could have picked up on? Right. Yeah. And, and, and look and look and see what kind of culture they're, they're combating. And that actually is kind of an interesting parallel too. Cause I mentioned this before that, um, it, uh, that Mickey and I did a, a Bible class at the church we're going to, where it was talking about, we were going through the gospels mm -hmm. and, that he mentioned, you know, sometimes the conversation that Jesus is having with the person isn't for the person he's having the conversation with and right. not necessarily about what's going on. And so, so yeah, if we look at, at the culture they're combating, maybe some of the conversation that they're having is more to do with who you're getting rid of rather than who you're talking to. Uh, so th that, that was just, uh, you know, mm -hmm. talking out of my top of my head. Well, here, you, know, you know, and I think even another way to look at it is um, these cultural references come into play. They don't define the event. I mean, if, if I said, you know, we're going on a three-hour tour, <laughs> most people would know I'm not literally getting on a boat. I'm not getting on that boat. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. But at the same time, all of a sudden, the whole, you know, basic plot line of Gilligan's Island comes to people's mind, even though we're in Oklahoma, there's no way that's going to play out. Right. But the, the principles at play, and that's where we got to use discernment and wisdom and not try to impose too much. But that's why we, you know, we talked about some uh, with uh, Esau being a vampire and how that was reading too much into the scripture sure. and, and applying too much. 
I think with this one where we can see the Bible taking the familiar elements, twisting them, doing the unexpected, and basically... Or maybe correcting them. Well, yeah, correcting, yeah. <laughs> Subverting them. And twisting them makes it sound like they're doing a bad thing. Hey, when my chiropractor twists me, it's a good thing. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, manipulation is not always bad if it's done the right way. And uh, which might actually be a good part of Jacob's story is the misuse of manipulation. Um, Fair but, enough. You know, it's where we can clearly see that God's taking these elements that they are familiar with and saying, hey, you got it wrong. Let, let's, let me show you what it should look like. And I think that's the reason why he used this motif to, to kind of drive home the point that it doesn't matter how much you fight with humanity. It doesn't matter how much you fight even your own inner demons. The, the one you really want to fight is with God. Hmm. And, and, you know, and I've got students who, um, I think sometimes that's where we start. It was when we've talked about with my students where going into Bible study, you start with a wrestling because um, my stepson, actually, he was a wrestler. And, you know, I was thinking we've talked a lot about that in our home and the, the awards he won. When you wrestle with someone, you, you're getting your, their sweat on them, on you. You're, you're close. You, you, yeah. And. Well, and, and there's, there's also some element, too. And this is just, you know, kind of from a physical aspect. If you, if you are, if you're training with someone who's stronger than your enemy. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, I don't know, is that where you were going? No, but, but no, it's a good point. But, you know, if you're wrestling with God, you're sparring with God, you know, then you, then you get to the point where, you know, if you're, if you're wrestling someone who's strong within your enemy, by the time you have to actually go out there with them, then it's nothing. And, and you know, now you can say, oh, God fights the battle, which is true. Mm -hmm. I, but, uh, you know, as far as, you know, salvation, but I think there are certain things that he expects from us in acting out our faith that uh that are acts of obedience that we're supposed to follow up with so well and um, I but yeah I so sorry i know i know the analogy breaks down somewhere but i just that was it always does but I, you know i think a lot of times we have a lot of people who maybe miss christianity and what it has because we're we tell them don't ask questions you just have to accept and believe um this is just the way it is and we don't give them that, that place to wrestle. Right. And we definitely don't give them the tools to wrestle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so that, I, I think there is something to that wrestling. And, you know, and I think we even see this with David in the Psalms, where a lot of the Psalms, he, you know, he's so mad at God. He's so mad at his circumstances and what's going on in his life and, and the anger and the despair and the angst. I think sometimes we try to downplay some of the anger uh, when we translate that and when we read those and discuss yeah. it. Well, okay. Well, you know, you're, real quick before we get too far into that, you were talking about giving people the tools and permission mm -hmm. and and whatnot. But that that was one of the frustrations that I had growing up because I grew up. You know, we grew up in a Baptist church, and one of the emphasis was read your Bible, study, read your Bible, study, read your Bible. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we would read our Bible, and then we would have questions, and our teachers, our Sunday school teachers, our youth pastors, whoever was involved, were like. Well, that question, that's, you're not supposed to question what's going on. You're like, what? Like, that's, to, but how can I understand if I don't ask questions? Well, you're, you're questioning God. You're not showing, a, a, you you're know, being a, disrespectful, being disrespectful. You're, uh, showing a lack of faith, all this stuff. And I was like, this just does not make sense. And, and that's why I, you know, I, I, I consider myself very, 
uh, you know, use the word blessed. I don't want to overuse it, but hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yeah, but I was, I you know, I did, I did think it was a great blessing that that we did have such a good teacher uh, through Chuck mm-hmm. at New Community, especially for me coming out of the our background where we 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 liked to study on our own anyway, and mm-hmm. we enjoyed it. But whenever we had those questions, we didn't have any place we could go. And then we went to a place where they were teaching the answers to a lot of the questions we didn't know we had yet. Right. Even. And then some that we did have and we're going, oh, I don't even have to like hound someone to get some answers here. <laughs> and I don't even have to hound someone to get some tools to further answer questions that I have. And so, you know, that's the environment people need to create. And the, and the thing that frustrates me about that, and I'm going to go on, sorry, I'm going to. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I need to I need to carry around a soapbox, but the uh, now it, one of the things that drives me nuts to you is the seeker sensitive church model. We've talked about this before. People show up if someone's really seeking and they show up to a seeker quote seeker sensitive church. You know what they're not going to find nothing. nothing. <laughs> and so, but the thing about it is, new community was growing. Oh, when leaps Chuck and was, bonds. When, bounds. Ba- what leaps and bounds? Leaps and yeah. <laughs> bonds. Sorry, that's another game. Uh. I don't know that one, but anyway, but no, it was growing while Chuck was teaching all this stuff that was, that was some fairly deep theology at times. Oh, definitely. And, um, it, and I mean, and, not- and then we would have small group, which at that point, our small groups were very much about what was going on in the sermon. And so we would go and discuss them with another group of people and pick it apart and have the freedom to ask those questions mm-hmm. and have those discussions. So it wasn't just, here's the information, accept it. It was that chance to really dig down deep, yeah. and I, that's where you really learn. And you, we we have discussed. I mean, you and I. I can't remember us talking about it on the, on on Mike, but one of the things that um, you know, when you watch that movie, like or even like last night, we're we're watching Star Trek, and and we're looking and discussing the themes and the lines and the topics. You remember that so much more than anything i may watch at netflix at two o'clock in the morning by myself right it has nothing to do with me being asleep it has everything to do there's nobody there to reinforce that and there's nobody to make me think about it on a cognitive level right well it's it's like reading a good book i mean mm-hmm. i was i was reading like six books at a time i was going through about a book a month while reading six books simultaneously when i was living by <laughs> you know when i was single living in dallas but I felt like I was starving for information because I didn't have people to discuss it with. Yeah. And so a lot of the stuff I read just whoop, right out the window. But yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what got me started on that little tangent. <laughs> but uh, we're talking about having having, having the tools. Yeah, yeah having, having the, tools. the tools to learn. And, and yeah, so we've got to We've got to teach people, got to give people the tools to educate themselves because because ultimately uh, self-education is the only education. Right. And, right. and it, it, it all comes down on the individual wanting to be part of something, wanting to learn or not. Um, that's thank you for coming to my TED talk. That's, <laughs> that's all I got. So, well, but and so I, I think that one of the things in the wrestling and, you know, we got to remember God's bigger than any anger or fear that we might have any doubt. He, he doesn't flinch when we show him the ugliest parts of who we are. It, it, he doesn't run away like so many of our so-called friends do. And yeah, and that's where I was going with that with the Psalms. David just he lays it all out there, and that's a form of wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. And after he goes through all of these 
icky emotions, he comes back around to that place of worship and praise and acceptance that God is the the true God and the one mm-hmm. he wants to worship. And I think a lot of us just want to like cut off the first half of the Psalms, jump right to the second half, and that's where you're supposed to live as a Christian. Right. And that's that's not how it works. I mean, essentially, if you want to kind of take it further, that's like saying we don't want the crucifixion, we just want the resurrection. Yeah. And the two have to work in tandem. And so that a lot of times that wrestling really is the dying to self that needs to happen to to be resurrected or, or be conformed to the image of Christ. So one of the things we notice uh, coming out of this, uh, Jacob leaves. Um, Leah actually asked a question in the paddle store about the fact that through the rest of the Bible, Jacob still remains Jacob. Um, he, he's not referred to really as Israel. Israel, um, even though God gives him this name. Well, yeah. Well, her question was, was other people who, who get a name change, it stays right. with them. And like Abram, Abram became Abraham, and he was referred to as Abraham every mm-hmm. other time. As Sarai became Sarah, uh, or Sarai, I guess, mm-hmm. became Sarah. Uh, and so then you get, um, I just want to make sure it sounded yeah. different on the... Yeah, you know, no, so, I get it. Cause, yeah. Because it sounded like I said the same name twice, but, uh, but, but then, but they stay those names and but Jacob and Israel kind of get used interchangeably throughout the rest of the Bible, well, yeah, and not, after, just, not just his lifetime. Well, what happens, yeah, uh, after the death, then yes, the nation of Israel is definitely called Jacob uh, at different points. And then uh, we also, we find Israel is more of a title, and it really is not about the individual. It's about the individual who does the work to build a nation. So when we see Israel being used, He's usually involved in something, or it's referring to an act of building this nation, uh, actually building a home and building a family. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the primary goal of what Jacob is doing. And I think we forget sometimes that this is about trying to establish a functional family. Right. This, it hasn't happened so far in the Bible. And so uh, Jacob's having to reconcile with his brother. That's his first step in order for his own house to be put in order, he has to be in order with his, his brother. And we're going to get into some of the um, politics that happen with the brothers later on, but real quick, um, you know, when we have Jacob finally approach Esau and we talked about how, you know, Esau falls on his neck and kisses him. And, but Jacob's speech there, I mean, like seven times he calls Esau Lord. Mm -hmm. He calls himself Esau's servant. He bows down to him. He he does everything that's been counter to the guy who who went to Laban. Right there, there has been a transformation that's occurred in him, and he even tells Jacob, uh, tells Esau. He says, "To see your face is like seeing the face of God." Right. This is a man who just came from seeing the face of God. Yeah. Well, I I do think it's the kind. Of, okay. So real quick, I just this is kind of a funny thought I had about this is like. Can you imagine like him showing up? He sent the family away and him, him showing up. He's probably like half asleep. I don't know. They haven't discovered coffee at this point yet, have they? <laughs> everybody's half asleep then. And so, yeah, no one's really awake. It's like, it's like life before glasses where we talked about everyone <laughs> right. being blind. Uh, so everyone's half asleep. But he's been up all night wrestling with God and he has a limp. He's probably looks a little rough. For, <laughs> and you can see like his wives being like, where what happened to you? Yeah, what happened? 
And that, that's the part that I think we, I mean, it's not in the Bible, but that's, that's the, that's the part of the image that I think we leave out a lot. And, and at this point is Esau like, I expected something different. <laughs> yeah, all these great gifts came through and you got some pretty good looking wives here and nice passel of kids. And then Jacob comes in like the wild man, the hair leaning on the staff, kind of dragging one leg behind him. I, I, I can totally see the image. And, and then to, to, at that point, call him himself Esau's servant and to call Esau Lord. And, and you can actually see why Esau might see this as being sincere. I mean, there, there could have been all the chance for even hubris to be mistaken was taken away. I mean, God just, (laughs) it's gone. And so, yeah, I hadn't actually seen that image quite in my mind the way you just helped me paint it. But But, yeah, as we're sitting here talking about this, that's what occurred to me. I'm like, the the wives have just got to be like, and the kids are like, what happened to daddy? Like he's, (laughs) is daddy even drinking again? (laughs) And and yeah, there's that level of, when you, start to discuss the Bible uh, and discussion is one of the tools. Then it, it takes you deeper into that text because now I, I can see it. I mean, and, and can you imagine just, I mean, we've talked about Esau being a pretty decent guy anyway. And so I just see his brother in this state, you know, it's like, whoa, dude, you keep all the stuff you sent me. Hang on to it. We're good. I'm going to help you with the rest of the journey because I'm not so sure you're going to make it on your own. Right. You know, and there's this, you you begin to see why Esau was willing to to be so forgiving because I think he saw the beatenness and the brokenness in Jacob after that night with God. And I, I hadn't really put it in that context, but now I've got that visual image and I, I've got like, I'm going to have to find the image and post it in the paddle store because there's a character I've got and it's not a pretty guy, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that in there, but so, yeah, sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to, to derail, but I, I think that's a good thing to think about because that had to have been an awkward moment. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And cause the last time, like I said, the last time he saw Esau, Esau was going to kill him. Yeah. And, and so, and now Esau does offer to help. And, and matter of fact, he, he leaves in peace. He realizes that the land is not enough to support them. Where have we heard that before? Mm-hmm. And so we got that throwback to Abraham and, and Lot. And, Lot. Yeah. and Esau's descendants from here on out are actually, um, well, from here on out, from here until after the Exodus, they aren't someone that they battled with. Um, of course, they aren't in the promised land very long because then they're going to get down to Egypt with the famine. Sure. But when they come out of Exodus, God even says, don't fight with the Edomites, which is the name of, of Esau's descendants. They're family. Right. Leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until the Edomites began to do some things that God de- disapproves of that they become enemies. And um, basically, by the time David's here, we have to take them out. Right. So. But yeah, God was, was telling them to be, to be nice, but it, yeah, and giving them a chance. Mm-hmm. And and. Probably even given because because most of the other people as they go in he says take them out yeah but he gives he gives the Edomites a chance to stay and probably even a chance to uh, repent repent and probably even become not necessarily part of the chosen people but to to possibly join in you know 
Yeah, they weren't going to be the one that the Messiah came through um, because that had been reserved for Israel. But it doesn't mean that they were unable to be saved. Right. And so that happens. Also, another reason why Jacob sends this gift out to Esau, he's basically making amends. Mm -hmm. You know, I took all this from you. I I want to give it back. Yeah. And so, and think about the fact that this repayment is happening in the daylight seeing his face as opposed to behind his back in the dark with a blind father, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, to gather all this up and steal this away from Esau. So it, it, this, it really is that complete reversal of situations. And I, I just think it's a great story because um, when you compare that to Gilgamesh, Esau isn't the one that Isaac becomes bonded to, but when he bonds with God and, 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 becomes a you know in sync with god Mm -hmm. then he can walk in kindness and love with a brother right so that's kind of what i've got on that for this week cool well that that definitely took us down quite a trail (laughs) which was fun so i enjoyed it i hope everyone out there listening enjoyed it um also i'm glad to be back in the studio uh this is a, a fresh round of recordings so um it's cold this week it's cold this week. It is really cold. So everyone, uh, by the, it'll be April by the time you see this. So it'll probably be a little warmer. Hopefully everyone's been warm in the meantime. Thanks for joining us. If you liked it, please hit subscribe, write us a review, comment, question. Share, share, share. Share, share, share. Yeah, share with your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, if they let you <laughs> do that at work. But uh, if you really liked what you heard, go hit up patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. Um, and also go check out, uh, check out the commentarians. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such a fun show to record last night. And I'm actually kind of sad that it's behind the paywall because I think that is our best <laughs> episode yet. It um, was a but, lot of fun, but go, go check that out. Uh, patreon.com slash the commentarians will get you to that. Um, we love both of our shows mm-hmm. very much. So, um, I'm going to try not to like gush too much about them. The rest <laughs> the, about commentarians the rest of this weekend, because uh, that's not what this show's about. But thanks again for joining us, everyone. Until next week, have a great week, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.